it's helped prepare me for life, you know, and that's the thing I love about sports, whatever, whatever occupation you end up going into, you're going to face adversity. You're going to get fired, which I did, you know, from ESPN, which we're all going to get demotion. We're all going to get rough times. And what are you going to do with it? And that was an opportunity for me where, all right, I'm going to get knocked down, but I'm going to pick myself back up again and start plugging away at either trying to keep playing in the NFL or something new. And it happens all the time. It's just a part of life. Welcome to the first 90% Mental in and out of the pocket podcast series with all pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plumber and mental performance coach Grant Parr, where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business. From overcoming adversity, celebrating mental wins to actionable mental skills strategies and more, you will learn mentally how to navigate in and out of the pocket. Ready List Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, Ready List Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. Ready List Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the Ready List Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyLists are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. Today in the pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with Danny Cannell, former NFL quarterback and sports analyst, to talk about how he managed the pressures of playing at one of the best college programs in the country, performing at the Combine, and dealing with the ever-changing dynamics in the NFL when trying to earn a starting role. Whether tapping into his confidence during difficult times, competing for the love of the game, or embracing the next-man-up mindset, this quarterback was always ready to compete and step into the pocket. Welcome back to the In and Out of the Pocket podcast with Jake the Snake Plumber and Grant Parr myself. We're super excited to bring awesome content uh, with regards to the mental game by bringing on quarterbacks, quarterback coaches, offensive coordinators, head coaches to talk about the mental game and how we can actually bring content that's going to help quarterbacks and quarterback coaches elevate their mental game. What's going on, Jake? Hey, not much, Grant. Just enjoying another uh, chance to have on uh, an old friend and old teammate uh one of my favorites and and again like you just said pick the brain of a former quarterback find out a little bit about what made them who they are and were and still are today and then also maybe throw some insight out there for the anyone listening uh, hopefully some kids listening some somebody out there that can gain some knowledge from what we're throwing down on how to be the quarterback who uh, all eyes on you right everyone wants to see who who and what you do you know when you're the QB so uh, today I'm excited though, like I said, getting to, to reach out to former teammates to have on the show. This one, none other than, uh, you know, the guy I have on today is one of my favorites. Uh, we spent a couple years in Denver 
And uh, for me, it was like it was like having a QB whisperer uh, be, as my backup. I hate to say that, that for his sake because he, he wanted to start, but he was my backup. And uh, as good as it gets, man, he was there for me, supportive. Uh, he knows what it takes to be a quarterback at a high level. Uh, played played at FSU his college ball. Got drafted by the Giants in 1996, and through his travels, I was really lucky to have played and been a teammate with him. And uh, I'm going to introduce none other than Mad Dog Sports on Sirius XM 82 uh, host daily, Danny Cannell. What's up, DK? What is going on, man? It's great to talk to you, man. Great to catch up, man. Those. The two and a half years or so that I spent in Denver with you, I had so much fun. <laughs> it was, oh. it really was, man. We were winning, we were getting better, we were, you know, getting to the playoffs. You know, playing behind you was, it was really just a ton of fun, man. We were both, you know, single at the time, kind of figuring things out, and you know, we worked hard together, but we also played hard together off the field. Like it was just a blast, man. It was some of the. I really enjoyed those those couple years in Denver with you, man. It was a, it was just a great time. So I, and I wish it was longer. I wish it, you know, sometimes it feels like because I think we had a really solid friendship. It feels like we played like ten years together. But it, looking back on it, it was really crammed into a short window. But it was just a fun time to be to be playing with you, man. It was awesome. It was, you know, it was uh, much needed in my life and, and where I was at, and just playing here to have someone like you to lean on and to go have fun with. Like you said, work hard. But then go, uh, you know, jet up to Red Rocks, go out to find a good dinner spot to hang out. Um, you know, there was a lot going on, like I said, just that short amount of time uh, to really form a bond. It was really fun. It was definitely a great time. And then, you know, like the NFL does, here's my guy. I got you. You're right there. It's like perfect. You're, you're totally capable of leading the team, taking them where they need to go if something were to happen to me. And they just cast you off. Bye-bye, Danny Cannell. They don't even ask me how I feel about that because, mm. you know, what, what does it matter what I feel? And, uh, you know, that's one thing, you know, we get into here is with quarterbacks and how, you, how your mindset is and how you overcome and deal with everything, like not just on the field, but what I just mentioned, them casting you off. That was a heavy hit to me because of the support you, you gave me as, as a backup quarterback that wasn't standing there with a knife behind your back ready to stab me anytime I messed up and take my job. How did you prepare mentally, you know, when you were, you went from being a starter to a backup to a starter to backup? How was that uh, experience for you when you played in the NFL? You know, I would say at the time when I got to Denver, I, I don't know if you remember this, I was out of the NFL for two years. So I was just happy to be back. I mean, because I was, I started with the Giants and got a nice new contract and just my second year experienced a ton of success. We went to the playoffs my second year. My Going into my third season, I was the starter returning. They gave me that new contract. So I felt like, man, I'm on my way. And then, you know, the quarterback room wasn't the healthiest. I had a quarterback behind me uh, that was complete opposite of what you were just talking about, who was kind of trying to get playing time, wanted to play in front of me. And I experienced that firsthand as a starter and it, it was frustrating. So then, you know, then things went South and what do they do? They bench me. Uh, all of a sudden I'm in the Atlanta Falcons in kind of a rough situation where the team wasn't very good. I wasn't playing much and, you know, just got kind of cast aside really quick, you know, five years, all of a sudden I'm looking at things like, man, am I ever going to get to play again? So I went and played minor league baseball. It's like, I'm going to do something competitive then, you know, after making 1200 $1, bucks a month playing minor league baseball, I was like, well, this isn't going to work. So I was like, all right, let me try to get back in the NFL. And yet I couldn't get any team to pick up the phone 
to give me an opportunity. So I went and played arena football for a year, which was wild and crazy and, and fun. But I just needed to show teams that I was serious about playing again. And, you know, so I did kind of some one of those things that you hear a lot of guys do. I, I made a highlight tape from my time as a starter, put a letter in the mail, FedExed it to every player personnel and every offensive coordinator and every court, quarterback coach. I heard back from some teams, probably the one of like the heart, like the hardest things I had ever had was getting turned down by so many teams. And one time, Mike Tice was the uh, the coach of the Vikings at the time, and I got a letter back, and it was I'm sure it was just somebody typed it up for him and he signed it, but it said thanks for your interest in joining our coaching staff, but we're full at this time. And I was like, well, wait a second, they, did they read the letter right? Like they didn't, and I was bombed. But then all it took was one phone call from Gary Kubiak. And he was, you know, our quarter, our, our offensive coordinator in Denver. And that was all I was looking for was an opportunity. And he said, Hey, yeah. we got four guys on our roster. You're going to be five deep, but we'll give you a chance. You can come in. We'll see if something can happen. You know, I like what I saw of you coming out of college, who knows what could happen. And so, you know, came in there and was battling out with our buddy, Nick Rolovich, who's now the head coach at Washington state. And, you know, it was a fantastic yeah. story doing the coaching thing. But, you know, that's where I started. And then just kind of, you know, a couple injuries happened, started getting some opportunity to play in the preseason. And then the next thing I know, I like extended my career. So at that point, the, the being a backup, I was just happy to have a job. So I was like, this is great. And then because of my experience of having somebody behind me that backstabbed me, I was like, I am not going to be that guy. Like I'd rather my career end, which it did, because I was, you know, a teammate, a team player, and I was going to be positive and support you um, rather than try to be that weasel that's in there saying, hey, you know, I could do a better job or I could do this. You know, I could, I could, do, I could you know, why, why aren't I getting shot? You know, trying to do that guy. I didn't want to be that guy. And, you know, yeah. the other thing that made it really easy was playing behind a guy like yourself, a guy that I enjoyed playing with, that I enjoyed watching play, that I, you know, like it was fun to play with you. So I had no problem. And it's that weird dynamic that you're in where, yeah, I wanted to play, but at what cost? Like, I didn't want to see you get hurt. Like I was kind of joking with you because I don't know if you remember this, the last year I was in Denver, you took every single snap, like every single snap. Yeah. It had never been done before in Broncos history. And I remember like thinking, well, that sucks. Like, couldn't you like break a fingernail or something? Just so I could have played a little bit just to show them I could still hey, play. But, but, you know, but remember I, I, I did, I, I broke my foot. I think that's when you got, I think that's when it happened when Verline got in and then he broke, messed his pinky up yes. and you got a chance to play. So I did yeah. hurt so my did get me back so in. that you could yeah. remain on the team. That's your opportunity, I should say. <laughs> but no, right. that year exactly. I do remember taking all the snaps. Right. Uh, and then that was, that was probably one of the biggest blindside moments of my career. And this is what I love about sports in general is that, you know, I thought I was entrenched as a backup. I thought the coaches liked me. I thought I was a good soldier. Like, I thought I worked hard. I thought I helped you in your position. And, you know, mm -hmm. Mike Shanahan decided, hey, we're going to go with two quarterbacks. We're going to take a little bit of a risk and go with a younger guy who's cheaper. And the thing that irked me was he said, hey, well, be ready. If anything happens, we're probably going to need you to come back right away. And I was like, well, that doesn't do me any good. Um, but what yeah. I was getting to was it's helped prepare me for life. You know, and that's the thing I love about sports. Whatever, whatever occupation you end up going into, you're going to face adversity. You're going to get fired, which I did 
you know, from ESPN, which we're all going to get demotions. We're all going to get rough times. And what are you going to do with it? And that was a pro- uh, opportunity for me where, all right, I'm going to get knocked down, but I'm going to pick myself back up again and start plugging away at either trying to keep playing in the NFL or something new. And it happens all the time. It's just a part of life. Danny, that, that's a great point, man. And, and, you know, Jake and I have talked many, many times about what the sport has given us um, or any, any sport, but the game of football and how it prepared for me um, and the things that I had to deal with, my adversities after football. But w- when you think about all these lessons that you, you go through, especially when you first start, like when you start your professional career, it starts at the combine, right? So when you, yeah. what, an over a week ago or so, we had another combine, and I can only imagine like the pressure and the preparation those athletes have to deal with. So before you were drafted in the fourth round in 1996, can you go back to that moment? Like, what was your mindset like going into the combine and how did you handle like all that pressure? You know, Grant, it was interesting because I actually was at the combine a couple of weeks ago. It was the first time I had been back since I was there as a, you know, as a participant. And it is amazing how much it's changed. And like, I felt the pressure at the time, um, but you talk about the amplified, you know, it's been amplified a hundred times with the amount of media coverage. Um, but I would say as far for me, like I was, you know, cause at the time everybody's making the decision, right? Do you, what drills do you do? Um, you know, what, how are you going to put your best foot forward? I was a statue in the pocket. Like I wasn't going to run. My 40 time was average at best. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to run at the combine. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to save it, get an extra month to train for my 40. But I was like, I'm a quarterback. I think the most important thing is throwing the football. So I'll throw with anybody, you know? So I wanted to go throw. And at the time it was a little bit harder to get information as far as the drills you were going to do. You knew some of them, but now because it's televised, these guys are so prepped. They know exactly the throws they're going to have to make. They know exactly the drills they're going to do. They know exactly the questions they're going to get asked by the coaching Mm. staff. They are so prepped. I almost think it's to their detriment. And I think it makes, I think it makes it really hard to evaluate players nowadays because they're, they train for the combine, like specifically. Um, but I was in the mindset of, Hey, I'm going to go out there. I'll throw with anybody. I put down pretty good film when I was in college at Florida state and let the chips fall where they may. Now the toughest part for me was ignoring the noise of, where do you think you're going to get drafted and trying not to worry about that, but you get caught up in it. You know, you start thinking, well, man, it'd be nice. You know, and ironically, like I wanted to play for one of two places. It was either Miami dolphins or the Denver Broncos because they both had quarterbacks who were getting up there in age and Dan Marino and John Elway. And I was like, I'll, I could use a year or two to be groomed and who better to groom, you know, to be groomed behind than two of the best to ever play. So I kind of had my eye on those teams. And then when the draft is unfolding and they're not selecting quarterbacks, and then when Denver does select a quarterback and it was a guy named Jeff Lewis out of Northern Arizona, it was before me, Mm. I was bummed. It was like another one of those kind of, you know, blows that you take, but that's again, that's part of sport. So the team that ended up selecting me the giants in the fourth round, I had never talked to them at all. Like I not not one meeting, not one ounce of interest. And they didn't really, need a quarterback. They had a guy who was pretty young, a third or fourth year guy and Dave Brown. So I'm kind of surprised, but I think that's the way you have to approach it is, Hey, you put your best forward, you go out there, you try to ball out, you try to make all the throws. And then, you know, you try to get one team to like you. And that's really all it takes. And so that was kind of my mindset was 
I can, I can only do what I can do. And if they like it, that's great. If they don't, then so be it. You, you, you went this route, Grant. So I got to throw this question in because I was on the radio during the, the Thursday night when the quarterbacks were throwing and the question and the comment from some of the guys that I was working with, Nick Ferguson, Brandon Stokely here in Denver, uh, D-Mac and uh, Tyler Columbus, they all felt like it was okay for Joe Burrows not to throw. Why would he throw at the combine? And you just said that you love to throw. And as a quarterback, you know, that's what you should be showing, what you love. Why did he not throw at the combine? Even though, yes, you're the number one pick. Everyone believes this. Why not just go throw? I mean, the kid seems confident. Do you, does that bother you if you're a GM or does it doesn't even matter? Who cares? Uh, it's changed so much, Jake, that it's such a business and there's such money at stake because I, I totally feel what you're saying. Um, and I asked him that question at the combine. He did have somewhat of an excuse because, and what his excuse was, he said, Hey, all these guys had two weeks extra to prepare in the six week window, right? Because the time he played the national championship game was January 13th. Most guys finished their season January 1st and some of them finished them before Christmas. So they have all this extra time to prep and, you know, Burrow's in a unique situation because he had such a storied season you know, he has Heisman dinners. He's got, you know, all these award ceremonies. He's got, then he wins the national championship. So they have a parade, you know, he gets to hang out in New Orleans. Like it's all this different stuff that's going on where I think he was like, you know what? And, and I'm, I'm positive. He's being advised by his agent that the only thing that could come is negative because his tape, his film is close to perfect. Like I really think he'd had the best yeah. season we've seen maybe in the history of college football from a passing quarterback, like it was remarkable. And Oh, by the way, he ran pretty well too. So, and I, yeah. I thought like for him, all he had to do was walk around Indianapolis and he could have worn a sign, a sign on his chest that said, watch the tape. Like, you know, like it'd be one right. thing if there, was, <laughs> if there were, if there were question marks and people like said, Hey, I, you know, I don't know what happened here. Or does he have this problem? Then I think, yeah, you'd be antsy to silence your critics but he's put down this perfect season where the only bad thing that could happen is like he maybe had a bad performance on one night, the ball slips or he doesn't like, you know, NFL ball, maybe he's getting used to still. So I didn't have a big problem, but it is kind of where we're headed, you know, like where guys are just like the combine's almost becoming irrelevant because the pro day is becoming that much more important. Yeah. You know, I think that if you ran the data on all these quarterbacks and, and really I'm sure someone has, if, if, you know, Justin Herbert, he overthrew two balls. He threw a couple that weren't accurate. And after his second year in the league, and, and what we figured out with his draft is that that ended up costing him $250,000 and 499 cents, you know, like, right. whatever. Like there's right. so much data that it's just bullshit. If yeah. you're a baller, yep. Joe Burrow, like you quote yourself, self-quoted, I'm a baller. To pick up the goddamn football and throw it and go, you know what? This is a combine. I thought about being here since I was a kid. I'm here. I'm going to rip it. Why? Because when you watch my film, I didn't need to prepare for this stupid dog and pony show. I balled out for two extra weeks and dominated. So I'm going to throw yeah. right now because why? Because I'm a baller and I love to throw. Like, this is amazing. I I'm going to all these amazing athletes. I, my hunch is that it's because he is a baller and he does, he, I don't think he's afraid or intimidated by anything. My hunch is that his people, his team, you know, told yeah, him there's no advantage to throwing it. And that's what happens there. Unfortunately, like a lot. And I like Joe Burrow. Like, I, you know, he's a, 
He's got the mock. He's got everything you would want for. Like I, I would bet on him. But unfortunately, like yeah. the quarterbacks now, they're treated like commodities. They're treated like corporations. They're treated like businesses, and that they're getting advice from people who are saying, "There's, you know, you could the risk. There's risk there. And what happens if you do?" And so I understand it. So that would be my hunch: is that Burrow was told by his people, "There's no advantage to throwing. Don't do it." Years past, other yeah. guys haven't thrown. You don't have to. And that's where I think we are in today's society, where where your mindset, which was my mindset, is sadly a, a place that's just fallen by the wayside. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I I think the same thing. I mean, it's you know we all played this this position, quarterback. It's the hardest position in all of sports, and you you have to show up, and you have to show up in craziest conditions, and so to me I, i'm with you jake like pick up the ball and spin it man show me what you got i mean because you're, you're gonna you're gonna do that in your rookie year you're gonna do that later in your career in a big game so do it now um but i yep. i understand yeah, too, if dude. you're gonna do a vertical jump what's a vertical jump gonna show you show anything <laughs> but if you spin a spin a beautiful post corner that falls featherly feather light over the outside shoulder on in stride early with anticipation yeah, man, I'm not just going to draft you number one, but now I'm getting excited. Yeah, yep. totally, totally. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to kind of still focus on pressure. Um, you know, Danny, I, I grew up. We're all the same age, so I, I was very close watching you throughout your years at Florida State and also through your professional career. So, you know, I want to, I kind of want to go back to Florida State when you played there. You earned the spot your sophomore year to, to fill in the shoes for Charlie Ward, which. It was incredible when he played there his last year at Florida State. So you were stepping into this huge spotlight, the biggest program in country. It seemed like you know it was that your program was on ESPN every day. And I can only imagine when you earned that spot, all these expectations, all the all this pressure was placed on you. So how, how did you keep yourself focused on the right things, and how did you block out not only all the distractions, but I, I can only imagine being at Florida State during that time. I mean, there's a lot of distractions there. So how, how did you keep yourself locked in and focused on the right things? Well, I mean, I think the first thing I wanted to do was make sure I won the job, right? Like I wanted to make sure I was going to become the starter after Charlie Ward. So, and Charlie was awesome. He was a great guy to watch, great guy to play behind, but he set this incredible bar. Like he won the Heisman Trophy, had the best historical season in Florida State history, you know, just it was incredible like first national championship all these things so I'm like in the back of my mind I'm like great I'm like this this kind of sucks because there's no way I can reach that level but it kind of I think it did take some of the pressure off of me because I had that mindset like I cannot and I told I remember doing interviews being like I am not Charlie Ward I can't and and probably because he was he could run like that was my excuse like I am I'm not going to play the position the way he did, but that doesn't mean I can't have success. So I kind of use that for myself to be like, all right, well, I can't be him. All I can be is myself. And that was the advice I was getting from Mark Rick, who was my quarterback coach and my coordinator. But I really will say one of the best things I heard was actually from Charlie Ward. And it was maybe our second game of the year. And he was there on the sideline and he was watching it. And we were running like a simple smash concept on both sides and I was trying to force the ball downfield to the deep corner route in the high low there might have been a window but it was you know I had a couple incompletes and I come onto the sideline and Charlie's like what are you doing and I was like well I'm trying to hit the corner on the smash concept and he goes 
He goes, did you, he goes, was it open? I said, well, yeah, there was a, t- a small window. He goes, well, did you see the guy underneath? And I was like, yeah. I was like, he was open. He's like, why didn't you take it? And I was like, well, you know what? You make a pretty good point. Like, I was trying to make the perfect throw as opposed to just taking what was given to me. He's like, just go through your reads. He's like, the system works, and you have all this talent around you. And that was the thing I, was, I had really had a luxury at Florida State. And once I kind of was like, yeah, he's right. Like, I don't have to make the 25-yard throw that's going to have to drop in over the corner and, you know, aside from the safety. I can throw out the easy hitch route underneath, and that guy's going to run for 20 yards. And then what started happening is once I hit that twice, guess what happened? The, the, the corner route behind it started to come wide open. And so once I kind of started to just say, all right, I play in this great system. I play with a bunch of athletes. All I have to do is just distribute the football. That to me kind of took the pressure off of myself, but doesn't mean the pressure went away because, you know, we lost. So I, I had some success the first four or five games against the lesser lesser competition. Then we went to Miami, played in the Orange Bowl. It was against Warren Sapp. It was against Ray Lewis. You know, they had a ton of first round talent. And I threw three picks in the Orange Bowl and got benched in the late in the third quarter. And that was like, okay, this is the first real time I faced meaningful pressure. Like I might not I might lose my job. And that was tough. And really like, you know, I remember calling my dad and I really had to lean on a really tight knit group of friends. I relied on my family. I relied on those teammates that said, you know, that believed in me and said, this doesn't make, you're fine. Like, and it was kind of the same thing. I was trying to do too much and trying to make the hero throws. And it was kind of another learning lesson for me was, well, what are you doing? Why are you trying to squeeze the ball into these tight windows when you don't have to? And so once I kind of just relied on that, and said, okay, let me just let me just do what I can do and stop trying to do too much, which I think is a fine line that a lot of young quarterbacks make, is you try to be the hero. You try to think, I have to make every play. When, and sometimes the best play isn't even taking the check down, it's taking the sack or just throwing the ball away. And once I tried, you know, I kind of learned that lesson, and it was a confidence, like I had to get my confidence back, and thankfully I had some coaches that said, all right, we're not going to give you the quick hook, we're going to stick with you. And then you slowly but surely build up more and more confidence over time with every completion, every touchdown pass, every, you know, interception avoided. I started to believe in myself, but it was definitely a little bit of a bumpy ride my first year starting, but you had to kind of build those chips, like building blocks so that you kept getting more confidence and more belief in yourself. Because it's one thing to say, believe in yourself, but I do think you have to experience some success in order to really truly get that belief in yourself. And again, thankfully I had coaches that put me in good situations as opposed, like for instance, beginning of games. And this is one thing I appreciated about Mike Shanahan playing in Denver, what or Gary Kubiak who was calling the plays. Give me your favorite plays. What do you like? So that when you're out there calling plays early in the game, you're calling plays that you can execute, feel, execute and feel comfortable with. Give me some completions under my belt. Give me something that gets me into a little bit of a rhythm I think that is so valuable when you're under those pressure type situations. I love it. What you just brought up, uh, brought up a memory for me, and I'm sure that it brought it up for Jake as well. But I loved it when my <clears throat> when my OCs asked me like, "What's your favorite play?" or "What's the first play you want to start with?" Man, that I mean, yeah. I love that. That was huge in Denver. That's what was really the separating point for me with with Coobs and and Shanahan. Who I mean, you remember Coobs would come in pissed and. 
what's wrong? He's like, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm just fighting for you guys to get out like 10 new plays that Shanahan put in at four o'clock on Thursday afternoon in a third down package. And we're like, we just had third down <laughs> practice. How are we going to get those reps in? Uh, we're not. Okay. So yeah, the pressures, man, are crazy. Um, I got, I got a quick one here, Danny. I got to ask you because uh, mentally we're talking about the mental side of things. Uh, you played baseball at FSU your freshman, sophomore year. Um, was that tough or was it like a pure joy to like get away from football for a couple months and like play baseball at the height, that, really not the height, but the height at the moment you were at, like the height of your career? How was that? Was it mentally tough or was it a really good like, ah, mental release from the pressures of football? Uh, it was, and it's this, you're talking, you're hitting on a, a topic that I am extremely passionate about. Um, and I actually spoke in Atlanta at my sister's school. She teaches at a school in Atlanta, which is a real hotbed for baseball. And the trend and sadly across our country is kids specializing in one sport from the time they're like oh. 10 years old. And that drives me nuts. And, you know, when I was at Florida Horrible. State, I loved going to hang with the baseball team. Like I loved it. Like I, and I wasn't even playing that much and I was a little bit frustrated with playing time, but just to be able to escape the pressure of playing at a top 10 program where I was fighting for my job, this was a different type of competition. Like, yeah, I wanted to play, but I get to go take BP. You know, I get to hang in the clubhouse. I'm meeting a new group of friends. Oh, by the way, I'm working on different muscle memory that I think all helps me. You know, like when we're doing drills for baseball, you know, I was pitching some, but I was also hitting all of those activities were helping me or going to help me on the football field. You might be like, well, how the heck does that happen? You use different muscles when you're throwing a baseball as opposed to when you're throwing a football. And I absolutely think they complement each other because you're with a baseball, you're using finer muscles, smaller muscles. When you're throwing a football, using bigger muscles. So wouldn't it make sense to try to develop? all of them and really the only way you can do that is by throwing both footballs well we're with both balls like that's why tom house is one of the biggest guys he has his quarter he has his baseball pitchers throw a football you know and like he has football players throw a baseball like it all correlates but the mental respite to be able to get away and just have a different change of scenery and not be worried about what's my check at the line of scrimmage what's my audible but to have a different challenge of, all right, am I looking for a fastball here? Or am I looking change up what's happening here? Or, hey, I'm on, I'm playing third base. And if there's a runner on first balls hit to me, where am I going for the double play? Or if it's up, you know, what do I do in a bunt situation? Like that type of stimulus that was different than the monotony of every single day going football. Like, Hey, what's your weak side run check? Like, you know, all that stuff. It was so valuable to me. And I think it really helped me from getting burned out, which I saw all the time at every single level. I saw guys getting burned out being like, Oh, this sucks. We got to go to practice again. It's because they've been doing it for 365 days a year. You know, it's no wonder kids are getting burned out all the time. For sure, man. What about, what about when you, what about when you look in the mirror today and you look and you see, you see your face, I know what your face looks like, but when you see your You're face looking. and you go, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're on the radio right and then uh <laughs> yeah. you look in the mirror and you see yourself and you go i was drafted to play major league baseball i mean i was drafted by the yankees and i was drafted in the nfl i'm a badass mofo do you ever do that <laughs> i don't 
I don't. So here's the way I look at myself in my career. I yeah, thank you. I look at myself full disclosure, and this is what I tell my daughters. This is what I tell young quarterbacks. This is what I tell young professional quarterbacks. Early in my career, everything came easy to me. Like when I was in little league, I'd hit bombs. You know, like I I was striking out 14, 15 players a game and only facing 18 batters. Like and, and I didn't. And I loved it. I loved playing sports. When I got to college, more of the same story, although you're forced to work at it more because you're required to go to practice more. But, and, I would, and I was a good, I was a good player, and I was good in college, and then I got drafted. But I think what prevented me from becoming really a good player, because I don't, like, honestly, when I look at my skill set versus Drew Brees and my ability to throw the football, I think there's not that much different. He doesn't have incredible arm talent. But I think what he had that I didn't, and I didn't learn this probably until my last two years with you. And that maybe that's why you're kind of scratching your head with where I'm going with this, because I do think I put into extra time. When I was in the Giants, when I first started, I didn't do anything different. Like I was just playing. I was starting. We were winning. So I was like, I don't have to do anything different. And I never really understood what it meant to be the man and what it takes to be great. And like, there's a huge difference between being good and great. And that's probably my one regret is that I didn't like, and I'm, I was never late. I studied film, but I didn't get there two hours before the way that you and I did when we were in Denver. You know, we, we would be like here at seven 30, if meetings started nine, we'd be there early studying extra tape. I didn't do that early yeah. in my career. I didn't do the extra reps in the weight room. I was always kind of, I'm going to do what they ask of me. They can't say I'm not a good worker if I'm doing what they ask, but I didn't do the extra. And that's probably like when I look at myself in the mirror, it's a little bit of regret. But I'm like, you know what? I had an awesome career. I'm thankful. But there's that one piece of regret that I try to pass on to young people is don't let them see anything that makes it easier for them to cut you. You know, like, I thought when the Giants benched me, they were probably like, this guy's not putting in the extra work. So we're going to try somebody else who is. That's like my one regret. So I I know you were going in maybe a different direction, but like, I'm very thankful. And, you know, I had an incredible opportunity. But I think the one thing I'd pass on to the listeners is, Bust your ass. That's one thing people can't take from you is if you bust your butt and outwork everybody. I'm talking about all 32 quarterbacks around the NFL or whatever league you play in or whatever high school you play at. You can outwork people. And that's my one regret. I think I left something on the table at various points in my career. Hmm. Hmm, that's awesome. You know, before I'm going to, I'm going to beat Jake to the punch here with i uh, I'm going to give you an out of the pocket question. Um, Jake's okay. a little more creative than mine, oh. but, um, but <laughs> Now that you've had this, this, this whole, you know, to reflect on your whole career, do you ever get any dreams? Like, is there any of these reoccurring dreams of when you play football or a negative dream? Because Jake and I have talked about this too. It, there, there's a lot of them that come up for me, but. Oh my if, God. If you do, Are you guys what, serious with this question? Yeah. Holy crap. I was going to wonder if anybody else has these dreams. I, Cause I have them all the time. So I, I never played for Bill Parcells. I had a really weird dream where Parcells was just riding me in practice and I kept creating under the pressure. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, I didn't know what was going. I've had dreams where like Mike Shanahan used to give us these quizzes and like, we'd have to fill them out from blank. And I like, I have dreams where I wake up in a cold sweat and I can't think of one single play. And I'm like, why can't I remember any plays? I can't remember any plays. Um, I have these kind of dreams all the time. So I'm glad it's not only me that has these. Now mine are most time. They're kind of like negative. Is that the way it is with you? Or do you like have glory? Like you're reliving the glory days. 
some of those. Well, for for me, it's they're they're more often than not they're negative, um, and a lot of them are very similar to yours. Like I forget to play, um, or I show up to the game and I and I don't even know the playbook at all. So that that's showed up, and I also. <clears throat> From the game of football, I've actually had two hip replacements on the same hip. So I've actually, I've actually saw myself getting pulled into a game with my metal hip, and I've gotten fearful and scared. So a lot of that stuff it came up oh, for me. Man. Yeah, <laughs> this is like some I, you know for subconscious me, stuff. What is going on with us, dude? Are we a bunch of basket it's, cases. It's, <laughs> it's PTSD, man. It's that stressful situation. I know the way I get it. I can't find my cleats or I can't find <laughs> my socks and I can hear the game going. And then I, I've had full on like swear cuss in right up to Shanahan's face, screaming in his face that I know my playbook and he's screaming that I don't. And then dreams where I don't, where I don't know the plays. And I'm like, Holy shit, how am I going to get through this game? What did coach just call? I don't even know what my read is. Those are, those are crazy stress dreams for sure. I need some glory dreams. I, uh, exactly. I haven't had any of those. I haven't had anywhere like, hey, I'm back in action and I'm being Super Bowl MVP throwing. I haven't had any of those. Yeah. I need some of those. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, you know what I need is some, I need you to answer these few questions with quick, quick one word or whatever answers because this is my out of the pocket chance because I was all right in the pocket, but I made my, I made my hay outside of the pocket. So, Let's That's step right. out of the pocket, and uh, I want to know what tunes you're jamming to now because you always listen to good tunes. So I, I'm definitely trying to avoid as much as I can. Oh, I'm supposed to give one word answers. Uh, living in Florida, reggae, ton of reggae. You know, that's, that's my favorite genre. It really is. Always puts you in a yeah. good mood. It, it goes with any kind of vibe, even if it's raining out. Even if the, when I was living in Connecticut, even though it was snowy, I put on reggae. It just puts you in a good mood. I'm still in that, I'm still in that genre, which you really turned me Love on to a lot Chip. more. Michael Fronte right now is my go-to. Michael Fronte, he is the man. All right. We went out and ate a lot. What, what's your favorite now? What's your favorite choice of ethnic food? Um, I'll say Thai. There's still, and that was one of our favorite spots in Denver, Thai food. I yeah. love me some Tom, Tom Yum Guy soup. Um, there's there's great, <laughs> a great options. And there's the best option is when you have Thai that also serves some sushi, because then you got the best of both worlds. You get a little warm and a little sushi. Yes. All right. Favorite in any sport all around the globe. Who's your favorite athlete in the game to watch right now? Um, I'll go to, I'll say Patrick Mahomes is incredible to watch. He's yes. changing the game. He, I'm going to tune in and watch him. And I'll say for me, I love the golf tiger woods, his comeback. I think it's been like, he's still for me must watch TV with what he's doing and what he did last year. So I'm going to say Mahomes. And I still think tiger woods has that. You've got to watch him play no matter what's happening. Big time. Last one. Do you meditate? I do. I you. I mean, you know, my faith is really important to me. Every day, I spend time in prayer, like reading the Bible, which I do that's, think is a form of meditation. I think I think that's meditation works for right. everybody. Totally. Absolutely. Totally. Like I think it's important for everybody to get some self reflection, to get some time alone with whatever you believe in, even if it's just yourself. But you need to kind of do some self check, some self health evaluation mentally, see where you are. And it is so valuable to get kind of that centered peace place, whatever, whatever term you want to give it. I think it's incredibly valuable. You heard it from Danny Cannell, listeners, self-love, <laughs> self-care, take a moment to listen to our podcast and, and take some time to yourself to listen to in and out of the pocket with the snake and grandpa, because you got to take care of yourself mentally. So 
That's all I got for you, DK. It's been awesome. Awesome, man. It's great catching up. I'm going to have you return the favor on my radio show. I'm going to resume daddy duties. I got like cross pickup. Then I got to run to the golf course, play nine holes. Then I got to get back for swimming pickup. Like it's, it's nuts, oh. but it's great. I love yeah. it. I love every minute of it, it, but it is. And then I'm going to hit the pillow at like 830 because I'm exhausted. <laughs> I got my baby girl and I got to get my boys in school. And then I don't know what we're doing after that. We're going to go find something to do. So I feel you, man. Keep being a good awesome. dad, good man, and every and, and an awesome person, Danny. I love you, man. Glad you could come on the show today. It is great catching up, man. I'll make sure to uh, tell everybody to check out the pod. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. You got it, Grant. All right, Jake. Good catching up, buddy.